0: Read this morning Proverbs chapter 23, and we'll read verses 1 through 18. Proverbs 23, verses 1 through 18. Hear the word of the Lord When you sit down to eat with a ruler, consider carefully what is before you, and put a knife to your throat if you are a man given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. Do not overwork to be rich because of your own understanding. Cease. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. Do not eat the bread of a miser, nor desire his delicacies. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. The morsel you have eaten you will vomit up and waste your pleasant words. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of your words. Do not remove the ancient landmark, nor enter the fields of the fatherless, for their Redeemer is mighty. He will plead their cause against you. Apply your heart to instruction and your ears to words of knowledge. Do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell." My son, if your heart is wise, my heart will rejoice, indeed I myself. Yes, my inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak right things. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day. For surely there is hereafter, and your hope will not be cut off. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. You may be seated. Well, as we have explored the wisdom of Proverbs over the course of the last two months, we have learned that wisdom means learning to live skillfully. And two Lord's days ago, I shared with you the words of the 14th century churchman, philosopher, and scholar, Francesco Petrarca, who said this He said that there are five great enemies to peace greed, ambition, envy, anger and pride. Well, we have considered pride and anger, and last week we looked at the subject of greed, and this morning we are dealing with the sin of envy and its counterpart, which is Christian contentment. I had not planned to address the subject of ambition when I planned this sermon series, and then I discovered this quote from Petrarca, and I thought, wow, should I address ambition. Should I add an extra sermon? But as I prepared for this morning, I realized that in dealing with envy and contentment, we would address the issue of ambition. Now, most of our sermons through uh, Proverbs over the last two months have been marked by the fact that we're forced to skip around quite a bit due to the nature of the book. Uh, in order to discover uh, the, the wisdom of Proverbs on any given subject, we have to find it because it's, it's not gathered up in one place, it's scattered throughout the book. But this morning, uh, we won't do that quite as much. And the reason for that is that our key verses this morning here in chapter 23 uh, are actually contain a very tightly packed uh, argument concerning the subject of envy. Our key verses are the last two that we read, verses 17 and 18. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day. For surely there is a hereafter, and your hope will not be cut off. And we will look at a few other verses throughout the book, but for the most part, we'll examine the argument of these two verses. I think that they contain a fairly concise and complete teaching on the subject of envy and and how we are to deal uh, with this sin of envy and to cultivate its counterpart, uh, which is Christian contentment. And our main point this morning from these two verses is this that to be well-skilled or wise in the practice of Christian contentment, we must be diligent in the fear of the Lord and vigilant over the affections of our hearts. There are four interconnected propositions in these two verses. The first two take the form of commands in verse 17. Don't permit your heart to envy sinners. Instead, be zealous for the Lord. And then in verse 18, the next two propositions uh, give us the reasons behind the commands. There is an afterlife, and in that afterlife there will be a judgment or a reward that everyone will face. So those four thoughts, and as you can see uh, the structure of the argument here, we have two commands together. One is negative and one is positive, and they're contrasted with one another. And then two propositions that offer explanations for those to commandments appealing to our reason. Here is why you should obey these commands. And we see this in the use of for at the beginning of verse 18. We could substitute the word because in the place of the word for uh, to help us understand more clearly that we are being given a reason or a grounds for the commands of verse 17 because surely there is a hereafter and your hope will not be cut off. So the first Uh, statement of verse 18 is the reason for obeying the first command in verse 17, and the second statement is the reason for obeying the second command in verse 17. Now remember that in Proverbs, wisdom is the application of knowledge and experience resulting in skillful living, particularly skillful living that avoids the dangers of foolishness, which is of course, the neglect of the knowledge of God and the fear of the Lord. And so that is what Proverbs is doing here as it instructs us in how to avoid the sin of envy. It is teaching us to live skillfully. We'll begin with the first command in line 17. Do not let your heart envy sinners. It's a negative command. Do not. This means that there is something here that we are to avoid, to be careful of, to guard against Do not let your heart envy sinners. Now, we need to define some terms. What is meant by heart? And what does it mean to envy sinners? When the Bible speaks of the heart in this way, of course, it's not speaking about the the organ in our chest that's pumping blood throughout our body, but it's using that as a sort of metaphor. Uh, It's speaking of the inner man, and it's using the heart at the core of our being as a sort of metaphor for that. Now, we think of the heart sometimes around Valentine's Day earlier this year, and and, and we think about affections and love, but but even that falls short of what the Bible means when it speaks of our heart. Just as the heart in our body uh, is the engine or the pump that that powers the whole body, providing the needed blood to the various muscles and and our brain and, and other things. So too, when the Bible speaks of our heart, it's talking about the core of who we are that drives everything about us. It's speaking about our inner man, our mind, our will, our emotions, our passions, our desires. These are the engine that drive us as people And this is what the Bible means when it speaks of the heart, the thoughts of our minds, the desires of our wills, the deepest passions that we feel in the core of our being that move us to action. All of that is wrapped up together with the conscience, and the conscience, of course, is the law of God written on our heart that then either condemns or approves of the thoughts of and and the actions and motions of our will and our emotions. And so this is what the Bible means by heart. And we might picture it in this way. The mind is the uppermost portion of the heart. This is what we think, what we understand. And out of that flows our words and our actions. But beneath that is our will and our conscience. They're driving the thoughts of our mind. These are at the root of our rationality, right? This is where we judge a thought, uh, whether it is good or evil. Uh, the actions that we're about to take, the words that we speak, are, are these good words or are these evil words? This is, this is really the root of our rational ability uh, in our will and in our conscience. But beneath that, even deeper down in our hearts, is Uh, the portion of our inner being that is driven by our passions, by our emotions. It's at a more subconscious level, so to speak, less rational, but it's at the root of who we are. This is what we truly care about, what we truly love in life. So when Proverbs says, do not let your heart envy sinners, it's saying that, that when those passions begin to bubble up, those desires, those affections of our heart, That we must evaluate them using our will and our conscience and our mind. Are these affections, these desires that are rising up within me, are they good or are they evil? And that we must not, if they are evil, allow them to reside in our heart. And we must not let those thoughts uh, continue to dwell in our mind. Do not let your heart envy sinners. But what is it to envy? Well, I think we understand it, some uh, deep-seated desire arising from the passions of our hearts for something that someone else has. In this way, envy is very similar to the greed that we looked at last week. It's a form of covetousness, and therefore it is a sin but where greed was, at least for our purposes last week, limited to the desire for money or wealth, envy is broader than that. It's, it's deeper than that, and it's less specific. Envy uh, goes beyond mere material possessions, and it's the fervent desire for what another person has, but not for the specific things so much as a desire for their status a desire for their station, for their success in life, for their life as a whole. As we look at someone else and we think, they've got it better than I do, and I want that, all of it. And since we know that the, the Bible clearly tells us that as believers we will suffer in this life, Christ our Lord suffered and, and we follow in his footsteps and we must endure suffering as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. And and because we suffer in this life, it often appears to us that the wicked don't. And so we see throughout the Psalms David saying, Why? Why do the wicked prosper when I'm suffering, affliction, and and health problems and, and people in opposition to me? And yet the wicked seem to flourish. They have no trouble. They seem to be at ease, and so it's easy for our hearts to begin to to desire that ease, that prosperity, and we begin to envy the wicked. And this creates in us a sort of discontentment, a discontentment with what God has given us. We look at the sufferings or the afflictions or the health problems that we're facing, and, and we long for the relative ease or prosperity that Another is enjoying and we begin to become discontent with what God has given us in life. And, and so this envy breeds discontentment, which of course destroys the peace of our souls. It's as Petrarch said, envy is indeed a great enemy to peace. Envy comes in at the lowest level of our heart. It's a fervent desire, a passion. And what it does is when we allow it to continue, it ends up focusing our minds on that desire or that passion, resulting in what we call being single-minded. It's where ambition begins to be addressed in our study of Envy. Ambition is at the level of the will, but it's driven by those passions underneath it. And so if the passion is driven by envy for the desire for uh, the life of another, this fervent longing for what they have in life, then our ambition becomes a drive, a single-minded, intense focus, the determination to obtain that for ourselves. And we're warned and instructed In the New Testament, in the book of Colossians, therefore put to death, or to use the language of the Puritans, mortify your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. The envy, which is an evil desire or a form of covetousness, is idolatry according to the scriptures. It's to fix the desires of our hearts on something, success, ease, prosperity, whatever it is, and to make an idol out of it, to look at what someone else has and to devote ourselves to it, to, to worship it. Now, I'm not suggesting that we are bowing down to it in the way that we imagine idolatry in the form of bowing down to a, a block of wood or stone, but we devote ourselves to it wholeheartedly It's the thing that we fix our desires and our thoughts on. And the Bible says that this is all the same as if we were worshiping it. So envy is a sin because it is idolatry. It's a sin against God. It's to set up the thing envied as the ultimate thing in our life, to be pursued with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, with all of our will. And Proverbs is warning us against looking at sinners, those who do not fear the Lord, who do not serve Him, and seeing their prosperity, their apparent ease in the world, and fixing our hearts on that. This will cause us to be ungrateful and discontent with what God has given us. Proverbs 14, verse 30 says, "'A sound heart is life to the body, "'but envy is rottenness to the bones.'" Envy is a a poison. If you let it take root in your heart, it will cause rottenness throughout your soul. Our hearts are, as the hymn says, prone to wonder. We stray. John Calvin said that the heart, the human heart, is an idle factory. We're constantly looking for something to fix our heart upon. We see that what others have, what they enjoy in this life. We look at our own circumstances, suffering, affliction, our lack of whatever we think they have. We begin to fix our desires on that and to envy it, to devote ourselves to it with an evil ambition. And so Proverbs is warning us, do not let your heart envy sinners. Be on guard. Don't let your heart do that. It's poison to your soul. Don't let your heart latch on to this desire for something God hasn't given you and create an idol out of it. Matthew Henry commented on this verse and said, Do not grudge them either the liberty that they take to sin or the success they enjoy in it. They're sinners. They're free to sin. They feel no qualms about it. And they enjoy some success in it. Don't envy that. He says they are to be pitied rather than envied. Tyndale, in his commentary on this verse, put only two words. Enviable sinners? Question mark. Enviable sinners? Why would you envy sinners who don't know God? They're to be pitied rather than envied. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 1 says, Do not be envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them, for because their heart devises violence, and their lips talk of troublemaking. Would you envy the violence and the trouble that go along with their freedom to sin and the success that they enjoy in that? Proverbs chapter 3, verse 31 says, Do not envy the oppressor, And choose none of his ways, for the perverse person is an abomination to the Lord, but his secret counsel is with the upright. Would you envy someone who is an abomination to the Lord? Of course we wouldn't want to do that, but if we're not careful, our hearts will. And so we must be vigilant. Guard the affections of your heart. Do not let your heart envy sinners. To be well skilled wise in the practice of christian contentment we must be vigilant over the affections of our hearts now how are we to do this well the solution to hearts that are prone to wander to wonder to stray the solution is found in the second commandment in verse 17 the positive restatement of this wisdom do not let your heart envy sinners but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day. And the word but lets us know that this is a contrast. The first statement do not let your hearts envy sinners, but instead do this. To prevent our hearts from envying sinners, we are to be zealous for the fear of the Lord. There are three parts to this command the action that we are to take, be zealous. The thing we are to be zealous for, the fear of the Lord and the time in which we are to take this action all the day. So again, we need some definitions, and these definitions are helpful. I, I'm always defining our words and our terms that we're using, but the definitions are helpful because they, they help prevent confusion. They make sure that we all understand what we're talking about. What does it mean to be zealous? What is zeal? Well, now here's the interesting thing about zeal or zealousness. If you're looking in a King James Bible or a New King James Bible, you'll notice that there are words in some of the verses that are in italics. And what that is telling you is that those words don't have an exact equivalent in the original language. They are implied. And therefore, the translators supply those words in, help, in order to help make the meaning of the verse clearer. Clearer. So in the New King James, it says, Do not let your heart envy sinners, but, and then in italics, be zealous for the fear of the Lord. The King James reads, Let not your heart envy sinners, but, and then in italics, be thou in the fear of the Lord. In other words, the word zealous, which we're now trying to define, isn't really there. It's implied the way to read it might be something like this. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but instead envy the fear of the Lord. That's what's being communicated to us. That's the idea. Don't envy that. Envy this instead. Throughout the Hebrew Old Testament, it is one word that is translated both as envy and zeal or zealousness. It's the same word in Hebrew. That's the reason it's not there. It's just Using the same word, don't envy that, envy this instead. What's being conveyed here is that our hearts should not be fixed single mindedly on a desire that we are passionate about and pursue with great energy and enthusiasm. We're not told not to do that. We're just simply told don't let that energy and enthusiasm, that zeal, be for an ungodly desire. Don't let it be envying the wicked. Instead, Let that passion of your heart, that zeal, be focused on the fear of the Lord. Another way to say it might be to say that we should make it our ambition to fear the Lord. Ambition isn't a bad thing, provided that it is directed towards the right cause. Evil ambition is an abomination to the Lord, but godly ambition is to be commended. Our ambition should be to fear the Lord. The way to guard our hearts against envy and the discontentment that comes with it is to teach our hearts to fear God. This will breed within us a contentment. It will focus our desire, our passion, and our energy on the pursuit of the Lord. Envy and zeal are very much the same thing, just directed in opposite directions, our zeal or our passion is to be for the fear of the Lord. Now, as we began this series through Proverbs, our very first sermon in Proverbs, which is available on our website or on Sermon Audio if you need to go back and listen to it, we dealt with the subject of the fear of the Lord. And in that sermon, I shared a quote from Michael Reeves, a British pastor, concerning the fear of the Lord. I'm going to share it with you again. This is what Michael Reeves writes. It is not, the fear of the Lord It is not, the dread of sinners before a holy judge. It is not the awe of creatures before their tremendous creator. It is the overwhelmed devotion, or we might say zeal, of children marveling at the kindness and righteousness and glory and complete magnificence of the Father. That is why it is not all, and not at all, the same thing as being afraid of God. The fear of the Lord isn't being afraid of God. It's marveling at Him as our gracious Heavenly Father. It's a fear that causes us to tremble at the thought of displeasing our Heavenly Father. But it's also a fear that causes us to long and desire to draw near to Him. Behold more of his glory, more of his magnificence, more of his mercy and his goodness. And this is the solution to envy. Rather than focusing on the sinners, on the wicked, and their apparent ease that they have in this life, and then becoming discontent with our own lives, we should instead focus our attention on God, on his glory, his goodness, his grace, his mercy his commandments, his will, his calling, his righteousness, how we might please him as his children, like a child seeks to please his father. Make that your heart's pursuit, Proverbs is telling us. If you find yourself beginning to think of how good someone else has it and how you're lacking whatever it is that they have, instead of letting your heart envy You're to take two actions, according to Proverbs. First, stop it. Don't let your heart envy sinners. Don't dwell on those things. Then second, intentionally focus your heart on the Lord. Think on his glory. Think on his abundant mercy to you. So what if sinners are enjoying the pleasures of this life? So what? Yeah, you might have it difficult. You might be enjoying poor health. You might be afflicted with various troubles, lack of things that they seem to be enjoying. Should we be discontent at not having temporary blessings in this life? When God has promised to give us all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, why would we be discontent over temporary things that are passing away? If you find your heart beginning to envy sinners, then think on the glory and the blessings that God has given you. Think on the lasting and exceeding value of the righteousness of Christ imputed to you by faith. The value of godliness and the pursuit of holiness. Addressing the issue of of greed in 1 Timothy, the Apostle Paul writes and says that godliness with contentment is great gain, better than wealth. Consider the abundance of God's mercy to us. Psalm 103, verse 11, For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. The Puritan author Jeremiah Burroughs, in his classic work, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, he writes and says this, he says, If you pour a pailful of water on the floor of your house, it seems great. Looks like you've made a big mess. There's water everywhere. But if you throw it in the sea, there's no sign of it. So we think afflictions considered in themselves are very great. But let them be considered within the sea of God's mercies we enjoy. And then they are nothing in comparison. This is what the fear of the Lord does for us. It puts our afflictions, our lack of the blessings of this world into an eternal perspective. It refocuses us on the goodness, the mercy, the grace of God, our Heavenly Father, who loves us with a never-ending love. It reorients our hearts to desire Him as the ultimate good. And that leads to contentment within our hearts. Those who trust in the Lord and fear the Lord find contentment. Proverbs 19, verse 23 says, the fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it will abide in satisfaction. The satisfied soul is content. He who has the fear of the Lord will be content with what God and his wise providence has appointed. There'll be no dissatisfaction, no discontentment, no murmuring or complaining against the Lord if you are satisfied in Him. The fear of the Lord is a preventive medicine against envy and discontentment. And so we see that with the sin of envy, like all other sins, we're to set, on the one hand, a guard against it, making no provision for the flesh, keeping a a vigilant watch over our hearts, And on the other hand, we are to pursue those things pertaining to godliness and the fear of the Lord that mitigate against the sin. Set a watch and then proactively pursue the good that is opposite to the sin. In this case, since the sin is envy, the good we are to pursue is contentment in the Lord. To protect against the temptation of envy, you must proactively guide your heart in the right direction, meditating on the Lord, on His glory, His goodness, His mercy, and His grace. That takes the bite out of temptation. I mean, you still have to live in this world. You're still going to see the wicked prosper, as David did in the Psalms. But if you have guided your heart and directed it to pursue the Lord, even when you see that, envy won't have the same strength that it had before because your heart is already full of contentment and satisfaction in the Lord. But Proverbs teaches us that we must be ever vigilant over our hearts. We can't let our guard down even for a moment. Be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day all the day, continually. The New American Standard puts it this way, but live in the fear of the Lord always. Live in it. Let this be your way of life. Persevere in it continually, day by day, moment by moment, constantly reminding yourself to keep a watch over your heart, to keep it directed toward God. I love the hymn, Come Thou Fount." And the words are very appropriate here. Come, thou fount of every blessing. That's Christ. Christ is the fount of every blessing. So this is a prayer. Come, thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. God's mercy to us is never ceasing, and therefore we should praise him but the the, the, the hymn writer says, Lord, my heart's out of tune. I want to envy the wicked. I need you to tune my heart so that I can sing the glories of your grace. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Lord, my heart prone to wander. It wants to to leave. It wants to envy the sinners. I need you to bind my heart to you with your grace that I would pursue you, that I would seek your grace and your mercy and be satisfied. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. What a wonderful prayer that hymn is, a prayer to help us combat the sin of envy. So this is what Proverbs is teaching us, how how to live in the light of the knowledge of God. That's what the fear of the Lord is, to live with a constant awareness that God is almighty, that God is all-knowing, that God is all-present. He sees, he knows everything that you do. Every word you speak, every thought that is in your mind, every emotion that you feel, he knows, he sees. He is altogether righteous. He is the holy judge of all the earth, but he is also a loving and a merciful heavenly father. Life with that knowledge, always in the forefront of our minds, will be a life that is lived skillfully or with wisdom. So pray and ask the Lord to work the fear of the Lord in you by his grace, to bind your heart to him, to prevent it from wandering, to fix itself on lesser things in envy rather than fixing itself on the God of all the universe. To be well-skilled or wise in the practice of Christian contentment, we must be diligent in the fear of the Lord all the day and vigilant to keep a watch over the affections of our hearts. Now we turn briefly to the the reasons that are given in verse 18 for why these commands are the better part of wisdom. The first phrase of verse 18 tells us why it would be foolish to envy sinners, for surely there is a hereafter. This life is not all there is. Yes, they may enjoy the pleasures of this life now, but there's more to come. There's a hereafter. There's life after this life. The Hebrew here literally means there is another side, the other side of death, which we call glory. The sinner or the wicked may seem to enjoy peace and prosperity in this life, but that's not all there is. There's the other side. They will one day face the judgment of the Almighty God. Proverbs chapter 24, verses 19 and 20 tell us, Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the wicked, for or because there will be no prospect for the evil man, no other side. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. That word prospect is the same as the word hereafter, here in verse 18 of our text. Their lamp will be put out, the light of hope extinguished. There is not a bright, happy, joyous future ahead for the wicked. Job 18.18, he is driven from light into darkness and chased out of the world. Their future is darkness, emptiness. They will be cast into what Jesus calls the outer darkness, away from the light of God's goodness and mercy, knowing only his judgment, his justice, and his wrath. The smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever and they have no rest day or night. Revelation 14, 11. As Matthew Henry wrote, those are not to be envied that have their portion in this life and then must outlive it into eternity. They had their good now. On the other side, they won't have good. They'll have wrath. They have no reasonable hope of everlasting happiness Whatever the wicked enjoy now, that's the best they're going to get. On the other side, they'll know the judgment of God. They're not to be envied, but pitied. By contrast, we're then given the reason for our ambitious, zealous pursuit of the fear of the Lord. For there is, surely there is a hereafter, and your hope will not be cut off. Now, this is a very interesting Hebrew idiom. As I studied this, I thought, what what does this mean? The Hebrew literally says, For surely there is another side, your cord will not be cut. What does that mean, your cord will not be cut? Well, to understand this particular phrase, we need to go back to the conquest of the promised land, the siege of Jericho. If you'll remember, Joshua sent two spies into Jericho uh, to assess its defenses, and they were helped there by a prostitute by the name of Rahab. She had heard all that the Lord had done for Israel, and she came to faith. She later marries an Israelite man and has a son named Boaz, who marries Ruth and becomes the grandfather of King David. What amazing mercy! prostitute becomes the grand- grandmother of the king, is in the line of Christ. But she helps these two spies because of this newfound faith that she has. And so she makes them promise her that she and her family won't be destroyed when Israel takes Jericho. And Joshua 2, 17 and 18. So the men said to her, we will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. That's the same word that is in our text saying your hope will not be cut off. The scarlet cord, your hope the scarlet cord was Rahab's hope of salvation. And so the Hebrews began to use that word, cord, to mean the same thing as hope. Lauren and I were laughing yesterday about some of the idioms that we have in English that don't seem to make any sense. Why do we say when someone has died that they've kicked the bucket? I don't even know where that one comes from. We talk about going to sleep and we talk about hitting the sack you can kind of, okay, a sleeping bag, it's a sack, or getting in it, or head hits the pillow. You can see where these idioms come from, but to someone who doesn't speak the language, it, it wouldn't make a lot of sense. So for us, when we read in Hebrew, your cord will not be cut, wouldn't make sense, and that's why it's translated, your hope will not be cut off, because that's what it means. Your hope will be fulfilled, just as Rahab was saved from the destruction of Jericho, so you will be saved on the other side, in the hereafter, it's an interesting bit of foreshadowing on God's part that the, the cord that Rahab was to hang in her window, her hope was a scarlet cord, blood red, because our hope, our cord is in the blood of Christ shed for us. 18th century Baptist pastor John Gill, he saw in this a shadow of which Christ is the substance. And he wrote this. Now, just as Rahab was an instance of the salvation of sinners by the grace of God, for she was a sinner by birth, by practice, and a notorious one, just as she was an instance of distinguishing grace, of free and efficacious grace, a singular instance of it, and became a true penitent, a real believer, was a justified person, and was saved, so the scarlet cord was an emblem of the blood of Christ, by which salvation is. Redemption and all the blessings of grace are through it. Justification, remission of sins, reconciliation and atonement, safety and protection from avenging justice and wrath to come are only by it. The hope of a saint is well-founded upon the person and righteousness of Christ and is an anchor sure and steadfast. This is what the Proverbs are saying. That hope, that cord will not be cut off for those who fear the Lord. Who can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Answer, no one, nothing. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and Jesus' righteousness. Our cord is secure, our hope is certain, We who have trusted in Christ alone for deliverance from the curse of sin, which is death, have a certain and sure hope in the scarlet cord, which is Christ's blood shed for us. The older Protestant writers used to use the crossing of the Jordan River into the promised land as an analogy for death and entrance into the eternal kingdom of Christ. In the Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan wrote this as his character, Christian, gets to the end of his life. It says, Now I further saw that betwixt them and the gate was a river, but there was no bridge to go over, and the river was very deep. At the sight, therefore, of this river, the pilgrims were much astounded. But the men that went with them said, You must go through, or you cannot come at the gate. You must go through this river, which is death if you would come at the gates of the celestial city. And so then as Christian enters the waters of this river of death, he cries out, Ah, the sorrows of death have compassed me about. I shall not see the land that flows with milk and honey. You see how Bunyan is using the crossing of the Jordan River into the promised land as an analogy for our passing through death to the other side. But then Christian is encouraged by his friend His friend's name is Hopeful. And he takes courage, he finds his footing, and he crosses the river. And when they reach the other side, they're greeted by angels, shining men who accompany them to the gates of the celestial city. Christ is our cord, our safety line to which we cling, that enables us to cross the river of death with hope that on the other side we will be received and welcomed at the gates of the celestial city. Those who learn the fear of the Lord in this life, who rest satisfied and content in him, will have safe passage into the life to come. For surely there is another side, and the cord of your hope will not be cut off. The cord of our hope running securely through death to the other side is anchored in Christ, who has already passed through death for us, is now seated in the heavenly places at the right hand of God the Father. Proverbs 10, verse 28 says, The hope of the righteous will be gladness, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. What gladness that will be when we enter into his gates with praise and thanksgiving. So Christian, fix your heart securely on the fear of the Lord, the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ, his blood, in his righteousness, for surely there is a hereafter, and the cord of your hope will not be cut off. Let's pray.